Hi, this is Bill Prater. Welcome to Business Builders Show, where we feature champions in their respective industries from all over the planet. Our mission is to provide you with timely, provocative, and actionable resources that inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to find out the secrets to winning the hearts and minds of pet owners, and we'll do that by talking to Will Chen. Now, Will is a passionate entrepreneur, a design enthusiast, and the founder of Play, the premium pet toys and bedding company based in San Francisco, California. The products are now sold in over 5,000 stores across North America and more than 50 countries worldwide. His products have won multiple awards and have been featured in numerous publications and media outlets, including magazines and other channels like People, HGTV, MSN Living in the New York Post. Will has a is the recipient of the Pets Age 40 Under 40 Award to honor the 40 of the most accomplished young leaders in the pet manufacturing and servicing industry. Recipients are recognized for their commitment to business growth, professional excellence, and community service. Finally, Will owns a uh, master's degree in industrial and operations engineering from the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor and has worked as a management consultant at Turney, which is a top 10 U.S.-based global consulting firm before launching Play in 2011. You're 12 years deep at least. So who in the world do you serve? <laughs> I'm giving out my age, yes. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, your thank age you, has all been disclosed and all of that. <laughs> I thank you, Bill. Appreciate the invitation. We're excited to be here. Is a question, who do we serve? Who do you serve? Yes, it's pretty simple if you look at it. We serve pet lovers who see their dogs and cats as part of the families. If we dive a little deeper, our, our primary audience are those who want to spend a little more, who may want to spend a little more to get thoughtfully designed, well-made products for their pets, but while also doing the part to help protect our environment, to help giving back to um, animals in need and shelters around the country. Uh, that's part of our mission statement. Uh, what problems or, or, or opportunities do you uh, solve or help people with, uh, Will? I guess it would go back to a little bit of a story of how we started the business or how I started the business 12 years ago. We adopted Momo, a pug. She's now almost 14. Bless her. She's in good health. And I don't know, I always know I love animal, but grow, growing up in, in a city, in an apartment, I never had a chance to have one. And But when we had Momo, I just started to realize it's, it's true what they say about pets are part of the family, how much people increasingly humanize pets. And how the management consulting side of my experience kick in and realize that, wow, this is really a sizable market. But then on the other hand, when I look at what's in the market, I realize a lot of products, I would say they were either mediocre at best or they focus on certain things. Um, they are very obvious trade-off. If, if you, you, there are plenty of products in the offer across a mass retailer channel, but they are either not durable or they are... They're, they're poorly designed. They don't, they, they are just, they have functionality defects or gaps that I feel like we can do better. So the, the primary problem that we serve is that we, whatever we design, whether it's toys or beds, we believe we can bring products that, that check all the boxes. For example, bedding, it should be comfortable for your pet. It should be hundred percent safe. 
And then the key part is it should be easy to care for. You can, you should be able to wash and dry your bed in washer and dryer. One of the little story was the bed that we got from either Pesma or the Petco. Momo decided to pee on it. And then we only discovered after she peed on it that it can't be washed and dry. And then there oh. goes $25. A lot of little instances like that. A lot of our customers tell us that they appreciate how much thoughts we put into what may seem like a commodity product. But I always believe that innovation can happen even at what you feel like is everyday product. Okay. Maybe it would really be helpful for our, our listeners if you would give us an example of a customer journey. What happens when people come to your website What are, or goes to a store? How is that all? How is your whole universe hooked together to solve these problems? So what does it look like? Maybe I can give an example using our, one of our many plush toys. I feel like that is something that, that is for, for a lot of pet lovers is an impulse purchase, anywhere between eight to 15 bucks. And the customer journey, whether it's coming to our website or going to a retail store, I would say similar in aspect that there is there's always that instance where you fall in love with something because it's visually attractive. I always tell share with our customers, retailer customers, that I feel like it's a three-step process for someone who don't know play, who doesn't know play, to someone who will end up purchasing our product and sometimes even becoming fan of our brand. The first step is the products are well-designed enough that your most consumers have have a short attention span because we all have so many options in life when we are shopping, whether it's online or in a retail store. So the product has to be well-designed, has to be attractive. Within a few seconds, you want people to pay notice to your product. But then the hard work come in. When people pay notice to your product, they hold it in their hand or they want the line when they read into the details. You need to convince people, you need to show people that What's the quality that you built into your product? What functionality? Are you more thoughtful than your competitors? Do you have any innovative creatures? Do you have materials that are, for example, environmentally sustainable or sensible? A lot of little factors, I think, that go into influencing different people for different things, but I mean, influence people decision-making. So I think the quality and the attention to detail is the phase two. It, it all happened organically within that few minutes when you're looking at the product, again, whether you're browsing online or whether you're in a shop. And then what I believe really set us apart from our, some of our competitors, and by the way, I have a lot of respect for a lot of brands out there who, who came before us or who are, who, are, who are like us, who are trying to find our place in the industry. But I feel like where we position ourselves is that we go an extra mile trying to do what's right in terms of um, giving back and be a voice uh, for the values we believe in. So we are one of the very few certified B Corp within the pet industry. There are more and more in the last couple of years, but we were one of the first half a dozen. And there, are, I can go on and on the list on things that we do. We partner with Petfinder Foundation to help give animals in shelters. We donate basically mats for every bed we sell. The goal is to provide a warm place for animals that are less fortunate. I have countless examples like that, but it's, I feel like that's for a customer who first time get to know play, the deeper they dive into it, the more they realize that this is a brand that that cares, that really put action where the mouth is. And hopefully that's what can allow us to have a sustainable kind of a, a brand position. Because at the end of the day, Bill, I would, I would not argue that products like a pet toy or pet bed is, anyone can make it, anyone can make it. I think it's what you stand for as a, a brand, what you do, 
and, and people can see that when it's authentic. And maybe I, I, I don't want to give you any constriction when I ask this next little piece. Could you give us like five, maybe even 10 differentiations between play and all of your competitors out there? So you mentioned in passing, but maybe a little bit more uh, succinctly, five mm-hmm. plus reasons why you're, uh, you blow your competition away, if you will. Okay. I would say they, I can give five, half a dozen, but they all okay. are connected together because none of what we do, like what I'm going to list on its own is something that no one has heard of before. But okay. I think we're trying to find that, like I said, it doesn't have to be a trade-off. An eco-friendly product doesn't have to be an expensive item. That's where, okay. like, but if I to go through the list, um, I would say several things. For example, let's just take toys because toys and bits are a very different category, but let's just take toys. Um, okay. All our toys are double-layered. Um, majority of, um, of many products in the market, they, they, they don't put that because consumers don't see that. But we believe that if you spend the money, even though a toy is not meant to be indestructible, ideally you can, it can last your pets for some time and then also less waste is created. So the construction was more durable. Things like, you know, when you have a pet toy that has limbs or joints, we do inverse stitching so that even if the dog tear that, that little piece away, they can't get to the filler inside. It's a, it's a safety concern, right? Safety factor thing. Our filler inside our both our toys and beddings is made from 100% post-consumer recycled bottles. To date, I believe we are past 14 million bottles that will be safe from going into landfill and ocean. Again, am I, are we the only company that use recycled content for, material, uh, for products? No, but I, I think we, the, all the things that we talk about here, we are one of the first, if not, I mean, one of the first few, if not the first, to really marry together and hopefully present consumer with the option that, hey, I, I would be first to say we are a premium product, but spend a little bit more and you get a product that is, you, know, you understand what you're spending it on. Um, but to, to finish answering your question, um, you know, for retailers, for example, our, our toys come in a display set that is super easy to merchandise. So little innovative features, because most toys within the industry, you will see it is just packable. You put on the pack wall, but we mm-hmm. give retailers right. the option of you can do that, but you can also take out display set, take out the string wrap, put it on the counter, boom, you can call it seasonal item, or you can call it like a point of purchase uh, a merchandising display. You know, when it comes to the bedding side, we understand that retailers have very limited space. It's impossible for anyone to stock dozens of designs, every different size. If you've been to a pet store, you know that. So we come up with a program that help essentially drop ship to stores. Basically, we're telling stores that just have a representation, have a stack of our bedding, but we'll provide you with swatch books, a showcase kind of a showcase booklet. And if consumer want the products, but would like a different style and a different size, you can order it um, on their behalf and we'll ship it to you. So essentially there's no minimum. Uh, that in some high-end furniture shop, but I don't think before we came to the scene, there was anything like that in the pet shop. You, you can only buy what you get in the store. On both the direct-to-consumer front and the B2C, sorry, uh, on the B2B side, we're trying to find little gaps. We feel like innovation gaps that where we can come in and do things a little better or do things a little innovative way that 
hopefully set us apart from our competition. And then what I mentioned earlier, the last thing is, um, I, I feel like the environmental and the social uh, responsibility side is something that we have taken off the last five to 10 years. When we started doing it, we had a we had some questions ourselves on, do people care? Do people care that you invest effort and money into doing the right things? I think, especially with younger generation, I think with social media, people are, are more educated than ever. And they, 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 they see authentic content and they see what we do behind the scene. And I think they make a difference. Sorry, I hope my answer is not too long. No, it was perfect. It was perfect. I liked all those little... I like the way you say that it's a kind of a bundle of, of advantages and altogether it's like a little universe there. Well, tell us about the major milestones over the last 12 years. How'd you get the idea? You told us a little bit about when you had your first pet there, but so walk us through how you founded the company, whether or not you've got investors or partners and what were some of the major milestones over the last 12 years? Maybe how'd you decide to go into this B2B, for example, just walk us through all of those. And then from time to time, with your permission, I'll ask you to elaborate a little bit on a point you're making. Yeah, of course. Roll back to roll back the, the clock and remember the journey when I started the business. I put together a business plan 2010. And uh, I'm very fortunate that um, I could bootstrap, but ask for some funding from family and friends. So we didn't um, raise fund. Um, because I was able to just get it off the ground um, using my own saving as well as some of my families. And um, we started small, a website, but I quickly learned that, at least at least back in the days, I believe that the, the bread and butter of the business would still be to attend trade show and put your products in front of independent retailers. And who knows, that could be, of course, they're, they're always the big players like Pesma, the Petco, the Walmart. Um, what's very interesting, a uh, side, side note, is that within the pet industry, I quickly learned that um, you have two paths that you can take. You, you can go and sell to the big guys, but you have little control over your, I call it the brand guardrail. And I've seen that with a lot of brands that come onto the scene. And the second path is the one that we took. I think it's a lot more painful, slower, but I think it's the right one is you build the brand over time, you sell to independents and you sell direct to consumer. Again, it's for better or worse that the growth is slower, but the growth is, is stable. I mean, in, at least in my opinion, it's steady and it allows us to not um, overexpand, um, to be overambitious. But anyway, kind of back to, I sidetrack a little bit there. So back to your question, um, Bill, some milestone. Within a year, we started I learned that I can't put the products in my own garage. You hear that story all the time. And we, I learned the world about 3PL, the party logistics. So open up, oh, not open up, but sign up with a 3PL in, in Southern California. Within the same year, um, we realized that, oh, we also need to have a fulfillment point in the East Coast because that's where more than half the population is. Then scramble and we, find, um, we found a, a, also another warehouse in New Jersey. That served us well for almost 10 years. And last year, we have expanded to the point now that we have a third location in Illinois. Uh, again, it's, it's still, I would say we're still a small, medium-sized enterprise. And we don't own our own warehouse. We, yeah, we, we work like a lot of other small business in the country where logistically, we work with uh, third-party logistics. Um, some other milestone. We started with bedding. 
but I quickly realized the conundrum of selling a really well-made bed is that people don't come back to you that often, just like buying a Herman Miller chair or steel case desk or something like that. Strategize with um, other members of the team and we realized we really have to find products that are complementary to bedding. Roll forward a couple of years, 2013, we introduced our first uh, plush toy collection and we haven't looked back since. I would say nowadays when you mention play, more often than not, people think of us as a plush toy company, a plush toy brand. Um, although bedding is still actually how we started and we're still very heavily invested in it. 2013 is also the first year when we attended trade show internationally. So we did the same model as we learned domestically. We went to a trade show in Japan, UK, Germany, Australia, and found distributors in those countries. Um, it, yeah, it, it helps that um, my background, uh, because uh, I was born overseas, um, I grew up in Singapore. Um, you know, I'm very comfortable in an international environment. I have distributors internationally that told me that they're surprised how well-versed we are just exporting and, and dealing with like different culture and different business uh, requirements. I'll roll forward a little bit faster. I know if I, I'm, I'm uh, coming up on time, but 2016, uh, there's a big milestone. Uh, it took, took us about 18 months uh, to, to really get everything in order. We can't keep going back to become a certified B Corp. And for those who don't know what a B Corp is, I feel like it's the highest standard um, currently available in the corporate world to, to certify, to have a, to a rigorous way to, to assess and certify companies that are using business as a force, they call it as a force for good. And they, they, they judge businesses on over many different criteria. So what you do for not just um, on the environment and the social aspect, but what you do for your employees, for your customers, um, for your vendors in the supply chain, for your community um, is exhaustive. It is a long list of things that they look into and nobody's perfect. So they give you a range of score, but you have to be above a certain mark in order to, to be a certified B Corp. The biggest brand that people ever know is the Patagonia, the Ben & Jerry, um, the Warby Parker. So as I said earlier, Bill, we are one of the earliest doctor for this movement. So yeah, 2016, that was the year we became a B Corp. 2018, we had a little celebration that our product, our bedding, our toys mostly, because they use a recycled filler. I mentioned earlier, we call it a trademark name, Planet Fill. We use a recycled plastic bottle. We save them from landfill and ocean. So 2018, we keep track of how much bottle we help save. 2018, we save 10 million bottles um, from going into planet Earth. I, I feel like that's a big deal, you know? especially later on nowadays, you read how much plastic and microplastic is there in the ocean, in the environment. It's sad. So um, now I'm a young father. I, I, my goal is we, I want to leave the world a better place uh, for my kids than, than the one that we inherited. Um, and then lastly, I think uh, another milestone I think it's worth mentioning is um, 2020, we launched our first um, Made in USA line of toys. We call it Sumirax. Um, and since then, we have been expanding on our manufacturing and our assembly. We, we onshore um, our bedding assemb assembly back to the States. We feel like it's both the right thing to do, you know, to continue to provide support jobs in the economy. And then also customers are also asking or looking into companies that, that do a little bit extra. Yeah, I mean, we, we have a mix. We have products that were, that were imported. We have products and a growing list of products that are made locally. And uh, yeah, so I hope nice. that those are some milestones. 
So tell us some of your staffing people milestones. How'd you build your management team? Who were some of your key hires and who are your stars today? Yeah, sure. So biggest star in my company is my wife, the co-owner of the business. She joined me a year-ish in and it took me a while to convince her that uh, this is serious. I'm not just wasting my youth away. So she joined me a year, maybe and a half into my me starting the business. And at that point, I had I just, I can't remember, is it one or two? I had a lot of personnel change at the beginning because that's the biggest struggle people don't talk about. As an entrepreneur, it's difficult to convince people to join you. And as if you're a bunch of co-founders, I think that's a different story. But yeah, and then also where I am in, we're in San Francisco. It's difficult to compete for talent. You have all the tech company and who are flush with money. So when people ask me what's the biggest challenge I had as an entrepreneur, I would say people, hiring. But to answer your question, Bill, sales, there's a next area that we tackle. Obviously, without sales, it's lifeblood of the business. There's no business to talk about. I hired industry veteran who was great. Still good friends with this one guy that I hired who was really good. We really helped us got us off the ground. Taught me a lot about the trade. And then he moved on the corner by a bigger company. And then I, and then we, at the same time, we started getting more traction going with the business. If I wrote for today, we have four people on the sales team. We are a team of 12, not big, um, but we are vertically integrated business. So um, that's, that's, that's more than just what we do here. We also have um, office in Hong Kong. Uh, my my family actually own the manufacturing. So we are a vertically integrated business. Um, that's one key competitive advantage that allow us to work with um, larger retailers or larger companies because margin matters and all these things. So let me focus on the domestic piece first because when I want to build play, build it as a brand, um, besides sales, another key piece is, of course, marketing. You need to build the brand. You need to do all the right things. Um, again, it's organic process. I feel that like over 10 years, now we have a team of three um, full-time dedicated to marketing staff. But it was, like I would say, every two or three years, we just organically have the need to add another person. Natalie, our director of marketing, she, yeah, she's all coming up on eight years or nine years now. No, actually, she's past nine years now. Yeah, love her. She do it all at the beginning. And I think that's a story for a lot of entrepreneurs. You have to wear multiple hats. At some point, your workload becomes so much that you have to learn either to prioritize or look at the business case. Does it make sense to add a headcount? And if you do, what are you going to carve out for this person? Does it justify that spend? I mean, you're getting a little bit too much detail here, but since we talk about hiring, I think so. You, when I look at the business, I would say sales, marketing. You have we have we have a great office manager who also serve as a point person for customer service. Within the pet industry, we know that a lot of small businesses don't, not say don't care, but they really don't have the bandwidth to look at customer service. We strive to, we do our best. We answer every single email and phone call that come in within um, 48 hours. So I think a lot of customers have made the comment before that, you know, we stand behind our products. We, yeah, we put, we put action where our, our mouth is. So our office manager do customer service as well as, She's also a donation coordinator. So yeah, sometimes people are very impressed at how much different hats team members on our team wear. And then, yeah, so we're a team of 12 people. Last couple of years during the pandemic, we added a director of product development because we just at that point where we are taking on more and more customer inquiries and we have 
projects that we want to develop. And then last but not least, my my wife, Deb, she's the director of operation. So she's the one that keep everything running. She's the one that makes sure that if anything goes, that customers are not getting the orders, what's going on with 3PL? Are we getting paid by our customers? Are we paying our vendors and all these things? So in addition to staffing, uh, what else is, if anything, holding you back? I would say balancing the opportunity to grow versus not taking on too much too quickly to lose sight of what makes us successful in the first place. Maybe not in the last 12 months, but pet has been such a hot sector or vertical that I, I get inquiries all the time from VC or just ideas and proposals to, to raise fund and take business to the next level. As a business owner, that's very tempting. And I'll be honest, it's on my mind. But at the same time, I always ask my question, if we have the capital, what are we going to do with it? It's something that's ongoing. I would say it's something that's, that should be on the horizon if I want to take the business to the next level. Uh, but at the same time, um, in terms of product, in terms of channels, do we want to be the best in class and focus on just a handful of um, yeah, categories? Or do we want to branch out and make it a one-stop shop, let's say at least for direct-to-consumer? Um, so therefore, we do a lot more or, or even taking on something that we have never think about, which is, for example, consumables. Is, at this point, I would not uh, say anything is off the table. I would say we, we want to explore and see what makes sense. It's a really exciting time um, because I think we spent 12 years, like you say, Bill, we have built out a, a good distribution uh, model. We, we have customers who are very loyal to us. We have over... 250,000 direct followers on social media and over 3 million through our brand ambassadors. So we have the rich, but I also want to make sure we protect the brand and not make any wrong move. That's what I mean by not taking on too much too quickly. Um, and also being in, a, being in the Bay Area, I've seen so many kind of boom and bust cases for the tech industry. You overexpand and then you end up having to lay off half, half your team and things like that. We don't want that. And yeah, that for me, what's holding us back is charting the right path. And at some point, accepting that to, to grow, we would need outside help, outside capital, outside advice, more mentorship. Um, I would love that. But I also want to make sure that um, we take the right steps along the way. Very articulate. Thank you. How can our listeners get a hold of you and your company? What's the best way for them to do it? If someone's interested in our products, I would say the best way, you know, you can also find the same on our website, petplay.com, but an email to either info at petplay.com or sales at petplay.com would be the easiest. But to contact me personally, I would say LinkedIn is the best. And my handle is uh, williamck.chen and Chen is a ch. E-N, E-S in uh, Echo. And that's the best way to just find me. Yeah. Beautiful. What's the one question that I maybe should have asked you that I didn't have on my list that would that you could tee up, answer, that would give huge value to our listening audience? Maybe I would say maybe in the beginning, you would have asked me, why pets? Why would I bother with the pet industry? If I'm talking to a pet store buyer owner, it's obvious why we're talking. But often... I increasingly when I talk to people from the other verticals, people who are from outdoor stores, 
people who are from supermarket, grocery, hotel, buy a lot of our products these days. There's, they seem surprised the more we dive into it. So why pets, right? Why, if my business doesn't got anything to do with pet product, uh, why should I be even be listening to this, this at all? But I would say, statistically speaking, 70% of households in America have either a dog or a cat. There's one takeaway I would say from that is that likelihood of two out of three customers of any store, any retailers, two-thirds of their customers are likely to have a pet at home. And then as these pet parents continue to spend more, there's a lot of opportunities for almost any business if they find an angle to help pet parents. Again, maybe not for every single business. I would say there's a lot of room to incorporate the world of pets into what they do. But yeah. I love that answer. That's fantastic. I never knew that 70% number. Is that pretty much the same across the planet or is that a, more of a U.S. statistic? U.S. statistics. I say the statistics around the world are very different, right? Okay. In Japan, like in the U.S., you will have three to one dog to cat ratio. In Japan, it's 50-50. Like basically they have as many cats as they have dogs and the dogs are all like teacup size and I, I, I don't want to come up I don't want to make covers of this I don't know how many percent of the household have pets but any developed countries I would say the number is up there probably okay. anywhere above 50 percent maybe not 70 anywhere between maybe 50 to 60 ish percent who have pets <laughs> and you'll be surprised even developing country like in, in Latin America in Asia the number is going up fast so Worldwide, I the, the best thing about the, the industry that we are in is that the future is bright. I hope so. I think people have worry about people not having enough kids. Never have I ever seen a comment about people not having enough pets. <laughs> <laughs> that's gorgeous. Yeah, that's fantastic, Will. Thanks for your time here. Everybody, yeah. in closing, let's focus on the single fact that our businesses do not become extraordinary in a single moment. Instead, it takes the owner first learning and then applying a proven combination of having a mindset of growth and a growth strategy, of having a system to manage that strategy. And number three, and we'll touch on this pretty hard, leveraging a high performance team. Now you can get your hands on those three cornerstones. Just go to getbillsgift.com, getbillsgift.com. Dot com, and you'll find out all about those three items. So thanks for listening. Will, thanks for sharing your time with us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.